Hi everyone. It's you guys. If you're new here, I mean, I guess it's hard to see who's new or not because uh, of the masks. Uh, but if you're new, uh, my name is Aiden, the pastor of this church, Covenant Life Church. Uh, we welcome you. Uh, glad you're here today. Uh, but all in all, it's always a pleasure uh, and joy to get to worship together. Amen. <laughs> Let's do it again. It's a joy for us to worship together. Amen? Amen. Amen indeed. All right. Uh, let's go straight into our time of the message. Uh, we're going to go back to Book of Mark. Uh, last week we took a little break and uh, studied uh, Psalm 96 uh, to talk about missions. Uh, but we're going to go back to the Mark series. And uh, today's passage is Mark uh, chapter 1. We're we'll going to be reading from verses 1, uh, I'm sorry, 21 through 28. Mark 1, 21 through 28. You read it for us, I'll pray for us, and uh, we'll uh, start our time together. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. And he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once... His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. There's the word of God. Uh, let's pray together and we'll um, start our time together with the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, we trust fully in the power of your word, God. Uh, that's why we're here. That's why I'm here, um, as someone that just wants to be faithful in delivering your word. Um, not adding anything, not subtracting anything, just your word, God. And we know that by the power of your word, our lives will change. Uh, you know, our hearts will be healed. And that we'll be freed from our sins to live for you. The one that matters the most in this life and in this world, God. So gather our hearts. Uh, just take away any distractions in our hearts right now so that we can focus on your word and be blessed by your presence here. Holy Spirit, do your work even right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, give us... Three points, as usual. 
first, his authority spoken. Second, his authority displayed. And third, uh, his authority proclaimed. And therefore, the title of the message is the authority of Jesus Christ. And, and obviously, the, the key word throughout our time together will be authority of Jesus. Uh, first, his authority spoken. Verse 21, uh, Mark says, They, um, the disciples that Jesus called uh, in the previous passage, you know, Peter, Andrew, uh, James, and John, and Jesus went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered uh, the synagogue and was teaching. Uh, here, synagogue is, of course, a religious and cultural center for the Jews at the time, as well as if you have Jewish friends. Uh, it is the, the same function even these days, too. And on the Sabbath day, which is a Saturday, uh, Jews would gather together in the synagogue to learn and worship. And now uh, we hear in this passage that uh, the synagogue was situated in Capernaum, a city of Capernaum. Uh, this city was an important city, apparently, uh, and had about 10,000 people as a population, which is a lot at the time. And assuming that most of them, the population, were, were Jews, we can imagine that there being a significant number of people attending this Saturday gathering, Sabbath gathering in this synagogue. And I'm trying to picture a, a background for us. What's the scene in front of us here? That Jesus is speaking kind of like this, although he would be sitting down, which was a custom at the time. And he's sitting in front of a lot of people. And we find him teaching here. In verse 22, Mark says, They were astonished at his teaching. They as in the congregation, the many people in front of him. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. We've got to know, know something about the scribes here in order to understand what Mark is saying. Uh, the scribes were you know, basically theologians and teachers of God's law at the time. And what's most important about this particular group called the scribes was that uh, their office became very important in the Jewish religion over history. And they came up with uh, this important list of oral traditions. And they required people to scrupulously, scrupulously, scrupulously wow, that's hard, uh, keep these traditions and rules in addition to the word of God. Uh, meaning that they came up with this man-made rules uh, and they made the people uh, keep these rules in addition to God's word. And let me give you one example uh, of uh, these rules. It had to do with the Sabbath rule. Uh, and now it's true in the Old Testament that uh, you know, God uh, commanded Israelites to keep the Sabbath by not working, but by resting. Uh, but the Old Testament does not really prescribe for them which specific works are absolutely prohibited. It was not written anywhere. So these scribes and the later rabbis came up with uh, a long list of items uh, of what not to do. Uh, and there are 39 of them to be exact. And these include, again, what not to do at, on the Sabbath. 
not kindle a fire. Another one was not to bake, sorry to all the bakers, and not to hit with a hammer. Uh, so these are just only three of 39 rules that they couldn't do. Uh, and also people are also not, uh, or rather they're told not to even move their tools of their work, such as the pencils and hammers. So you can imagine, just, just imagine having all these rules and when the scribes would come up in the pulpit and preach, uh, they would list all these rules. So they're appealing to this man-made to-do list. And therefore, when you hear that, you don't feel the authority. These are just man-made rules that you have to accomplish by your own strength. But then, in contrast, when Jesus got up there, he started teaching directly from God's word about what God was saying from the scriptures. You know, he was unpacking what the word is saying, like we're doing right now, what the word is saying and what that means for us humans. So the pure word was being preached by Jesus and people, therefore, felt the divine authority that God's word, God's voice is speaking through this person and now we feel like we're established. So that's the that's what's happening here. That's the scene. And so Mark is describing Jesus as you know, standing above all teachers at the time because he confidently spoke God's word by trusting the authority and efficacy of God and his word. What that means is that the scribes deep inside didn't really trust the authority of God's word. They didn't really trust that God's word alone can change people and transform lives. So Jesus uh, gave out the authority from God's word by trusting God's word. Let me answer it this way. Um, not to insult any uh, restaurants here, but my all-time favorite pho restaurant is in Milwaukee. And uh, I know that there are good pho restaurants in Minnesota too, uh, but still my all-time favorite is in Milwaukee. Uh, when I was youth pastor there, you know, my wife and I would always go there. And uh, the fall there was just so amazing, especially like whenever the weather was not good, which was most of the time in Milwaukee. Uh, just kidding. Um, but we would just go there and just, you know, feel warm by the fall. And what I would do whenever I went there was I would not put any garnish in there. I would not put any sauce in there because the broth itself was just so rich and pure and I would just get you know, satisfied by the broth alone. But this one day, I went there with, with a friend of mine, and this friend uh, was putting lots of sriracha sauce in the soup. And, uh, and I was like, wait a second, I love sriracha. And I know anything tastes better with sriracha sauce. So I did what my friend did. I put the sriracha sauce in my soup and then thinking that it's going to be a lot better, even better than you know, what I am used to uh, in that restaurant. But lo and behold, it was terrible. I couldn't taste the richness of the broth. It was just all mixture of you know, spicy and whatever else, right? 
So I really hated the experience. And ever since then, I, I never put anything in, in my ball. That's, that's my you know, ritual, so to speak. What I'm trying to say here is that the word of God is like that rich, deep broth of its own right. That, you know, it can fully satisfy you if you truly are trying to appreciate that alone. And, you know, not try to mix anything else. You really try to enjoy that as it is. But when things are mixed in there, you lose it. The word of God has to be the sole authority that you are willing to appreciate for your life and trusting that it'll transform you. So the good question for us to ask right now is, you know, do we see the word of God as the ultimate authority you know, when we try to make decisions and life choices? Or do we look to other things you know, as the ultimate authority? Just a few examples here. Uh, I, I know these are just only you know, a few of them. Perhaps some of us can relate to them, but there can be more. First one can be parents. You know, some of us might look to our parents and what they approve of or what they do not approve of to discern the validity of our life choices. And I have to qualify this, obviously. Uh, to be sure, the Bible talks a lot about honoring parents because God installed parents as our, our, our earthly authorities to represent God's authority. No doubt about that. And yet, the ultimate authority is still God. Parents have transfer authority from God. They don't have their own authority. So if you notice that what God wants in your life differs from what your parents may want from your life, God's will has to take the first place. Just doing things to please our parents at the expense of you know, living for God is not right. And it's a very tough topic for sure, for many of us, I'm sure. So I encourage us to process this you know, in your life groups and just talk about it and think about it. But the principle is that God's will, God's word has to be the authority in our life over our parents. Another authority in our lives could be um, money. You know, when, you know, we might spiritualize our decisions thinking, oh, this is for God. But maybe deep inside, um, you know, how much more money we would make could dictate our choices, you know, when it comes to many different things, you know, just not just career, but also what to buy and what not to buy. But do we really care about what God wants in our lives and what He, how He wants to use us for His kingdom purposes? And lastly, another authority in our lives can be our reputation. You know, we make choices based on you know, what will garner the most praise and good view of us from people. Again, if these earthly authorities dictate um, you know, our you know, view of choices and our decisions, then we will not get to see God as our authority. And the, the worst of all will be our lives will eventually be miserable because we're not seeing the ultimate joy of God by choosing God as our authority. So, His authority spoken. 
is he, is his word, our authority. Second, his authority displayed. Verse 23, it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So there Mark uses the word immediately just to kind of speed us up because he's about to give us a different scene in the, in the, you know, on the stage, so to speak. And there we find a man possessed by demon. And the, the demon is crying out. You know, he's saying in verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Right away, you know, these words, these sentences can sound strange because, to be honest, they kind of sound incoherent. And if you see that, you saw it right. It is incoherent because right away we see that the, the demon is freaking out because he realizes that Jesus is not his match. He's much superior to him. So he's jumbling up words, and that's what we usually do, right? When we're freaking out, we say inco incoherent things. And that's what he's doing here. But more than that, I need you to notice that the demon names Jesus twice. He, sa he says, Jesus of Nazareth once, and then the Holy One of God twice. What's happening here is that in the ancient uh, literature, uh, you know, we are told that exorcists, those who cast out demons out of people, you know, would try to name uh, the, the spirit, and the spirit would name, you know, exorcists to kind of compete with one another, and whoever speaks the name and, you know, somehow prevails, you know, wins the battle. That was sort of a, you know, what was, you know, told, uh, what, what was telling, what was informing people of the spiritual world at the time. So here, what's happening is that the spirit is trying to throw a punch at Jesus, you know, try to, you know, defend himself and, you know, just really trying to win the battle with Jesus. But does that work? Verse 25, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Um, at the risk of being crude here, let me just give you like the, the, the true translation. I think the translation here in, in front of us kind of try to be polite, but... The real translation of the, the words, be silent, is shut up. <laughs> That's what it's really saying. So what Jesus is really saying here is that, you know, when the, the spirit was just crying out and, you know, going crazy, he's saying, shut up and come out. Come out of the guy that you are torturing right now. And verse 26, the result is, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Notice there that the last words, he came out of him, is verbatim to the command from Jesus, meaning whatever Jesus commanded happened. The spirit had to obey him. Although he did make a scene, you know, he convulsed the guy that he possessed and he was just, you know, screaming on top of his lung. Nonetheless, he did come out. And then verse 27, it says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. 
He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So the congregation at the, at the synagogue, when they saw what was happening, they were astonished. You know, they thought the teaching was amazing enough, but when they witnessed that you know, Jesus was not just a teacher with only words, he had true authority to cast out real demons out of a person. That he had absolute authority over even the supernatural beings that humans have no control over. And that's basically the end of the story. So Mark, as we can see here, first of all, is depicting for us the absolute power of Jesus. That Jesus is the Lord of the universe and all powers must submit to him. So let's look at Philippians 2, 9, 11, um, where Paul describes who Jesus is alongside of Mark here. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, those under the earth refer to demons, and those in heaven refer to angels. Meaning, Satan and demons, currently, right now, they're shuddering at the sight, at the presence of Jesus. And there will come a day, whether sooner or later, when the full glory of Jesus, the King, will be shown in the world. And everyone, even the boastful kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers, the prideful and self-absorbed celebrities or whoever is important in the world will bow down. They will realize that there are nobodies in front of this true king. But even now, Satan and demons know what's going on, so they shuddered at the power and authority of Jesus. But please follow with me here. But another important thing that Mark seems to be saying is that not only is Jesus a powerful authority, but he's also a good authority. So we need to move our camera, so to speak, uh, in this scene and zoom in onto another character, the demon-possessed person from whom this demon just came out of. Uh, this person, just think about it, is under the control of the unclean spirit. He's a slave to the spirit so that against his will, you know, he convulses and screams at the direction of the spirit. And therefore, he's in a, in a tyrannical oppression of the spiritual power. And therefore, he's in agony and shame. He's subhuman because of that. Meaning the spirit, the demon, Satan, is a bad, terrible, abusive authority. Meanwhile, Jesus you know, comes to the person, and what does he do? He uses his authority to serve him. He, he uses his cosmic authority to free the person from the bondage and oppression. In fact, 
throughout the history, throughout the Bible, we know that Jesus will go even further than that, you know, beyond this story. And, you know, because the whole humanity is under the oppression and slavery of sin. And perhaps most visible example of uh, this reality is that, you know, some of us, some people in the world, if not all of us, have some sort of addiction. What's addiction? It's bondage to our desires and sin. So what Jesus will do is he will use his authority to serve humanity by laying down his own life and die on the cross so that we can be free from our sins and be free to live to God, live for God. And therefore, the the other half of the Philippian passage that we just looked at says this, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think it's important that this is the true picture of the authority of Jesus because I'm sure many of us uh, have had some bad experience of authority in our lives. That whenever we are told to submit to authorities, you know, we naturally protest because we doubt whether their authority will do us good as opposed to using us for their gain. But here we see Jesus presents a stark alternative to that reality that his authority is for our good. So we can trust him. We can submit to him because he will do what's best for us. Not use us, but he will make us better by his authority. But not only that, again, he's powerful. He can, he will accomplish those things that's good for us, for his glory, because he's powerful. You know, my wife and I, uh, you know, we have two girls, old son named Seth, and you know, we send him to daycare every day. And this one day, um, you know, when I dropped our, my son off at the daycare, the director of the daycare you know, called me, and he, she stopped me, and she said to come to her office. And I was a little startled. It, it had been a while since you know, a teacher told me to come to her office and sit down. It's like, am I in trouble? So I went and I sat down, but she began apologizing to me. Uh, she was explaining that there were some mistakes that the teachers made, not you know, major or huge, but just small mistakes. But she thought it mattered that she told me these things. Um, and, you know, she was kind of constantly apologizing to me that that happened. And this wasn't the only time. She sat me down multiple times just to tell me, like, all these mistakes and things that she observed to be problems. And I thought about this, and I, I was pretty impressed because, you know, daycare is not public. It's not nonprofit. It's for-profit, right? Meaning, by telling me all these problems that, she's seen at daycare, she may lose me as her customer, right? 
But I realized that she really cares for the well-being of my son to the point that she could be very transparent with me and trying to assure me that she wants to do better as the director, as the leader of this daycare. And I think what that did to me, uh, not definitely opposite of me leaving this daycare, what it did to me was that I you know, grew to trust her more. I grew to um, you know, respect her more because I saw that her desire was to do my son good. And therefore, now she, whenever she tells me to do something, I do it because I, I trust that she's doing something good for my son after all. Like for example, sometimes she tells me that she cannot bring my son for X, Y, and Z reasons. And that may not sound big to you, but it's huge because what that means is that, you know, my wife and I have to take care of them for the whole day. And that affects, you know, like all our plans, you know, for our respective callings. And that's hard. That's hard to say yes to that. But we still say yes. Why? Because I know that her decision is for my son's good. And I'm sharing this because that's how, how our hearts work, doesn't it? When we really know and are convinced in our hearts that God is good to us, that he is a good king, good authority to us, that we want to submit. And to me, that's, that's our goal. As your pastor, that's my goal, that we all want to do things. We all want to love God, not you know, any of us feel forced to or conditioned to. Because when you want it, that's true love. That's true growth in your spiritual life. So when we know, when we experience that God loves and He's good to us, He's a good, benevolent, best authority that humanity has never seen, then you would want to trust Him and also trusting His power you would humble yourself and you know, submit yourself to Him. And I think the best way, one of the best ways to demonstrate our submission to God in that regard is prayer. You know, whenever we face struggles and you know, difficulties and obstacles, do we normally um, pray or do we normally try to figure those things out by our own strength? If the answer to that question is the latter, we try to look to ourselves and to, to our devices, that means our authority is us. Our authority is our own strength and devices, not God. But when we pray, we're acknowledging that we're letting go of all our control and acknowledging that God alone can deal with our problems and issues and all those things that we cannot really control and fix. And that's what it means to be praying. And the best way to pray is do it constantly. Not thinking, you know, you have to go to prayer meeting to pray, but you just utter prayer. And for me, a good example is um, just being really vulnerable here and really honest. Whenever I have to pre prepare for a sermon, that's when the battle starts. Uh, not to make it, you know, 
all spiritualized here, but I really feel the spiritual battle because all of a sudden I feel frustrated about small things that I never cared about before. And even small words bother me. And I start worrying about, worrying about just random things. And that really wears me down. And I, and I find myself just really feeling discouraged from writing more words on my page. And I've learned over the years that that's what I need to pray. Because Satan is real. Demons are there to get me, destroy me, and keep me from preaching God's word to you and serve you. And I know that's the prime time I need to be praying. So what I do is utter, keep saying words like, like literally I say these things, God, I need you. Lord, help me. I need your strength. Otherwise, I cannot go on right now. So a lot of things on my heart right now that are clogging my mind and heart, you got to do something here. Apart from me, I can do nothing. Help me. Humble me so I can serve them, not to build my own kingdom through this prayer, this, through this preaching, whatever I do. So my encouragement for us, whether there's spiritual battle for you, whenever you do God's work, there will always be spiritual battle in one form or another. Or just simply, whenever you are in trouble, may we look to God as our authority to fix us truly. And that's what prayer is, and that's how we prevail against spiritual battles. His authority displayed. And the third and last, it's going to be a short point, a short verse here. His authority proclaimed. Verse 28, it says, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. I need you to note that Mark is using the two very expansive, inclusive words there. Everywhere and all surrounding region. What Mark is trying to say there is that the authority of Jesus does not belong in one locale. The authority of Jesus has to spread everywhere. Why? Because he is the king, he's the rightful king of heaven and earth. The Bible says, in the end, the whole earth will be full of his glory. So he, his fame and his authority has to be proclaimed in all the earth. And like we studied last week, that's what mission is for. That's why the mission of CLC is not isolation but we proclaim his fame and his authority. How awesome, how incredible is that God uses a humble vessels, vessels like you and me to proclaim his beauty and his rule in this world. We are the humble messengers of God's authority and it is to spread everywhere, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our classrooms, in our hangouts, even in our families. Authority of Jesus belongs everywhere. Um, let me just share this video with us, uh, just to kind of summarize what we just looked at, the authority of Jesus as our king. 
uh, and, and we'll pray and we'll finish, but uh, let's watch the video together. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. cannot describe how great he is his authority whether people like it or not everyone will bow down before him in the end um, but he is also good authority he loves us he uses his authority to serve us and hope we see that 
Because if we do, if we believe that, we will submit to Him. And our lives will be different. Let's pray together. If we can just take this time to examine our hearts. Um, I get the question, what is my authority? Who is my authority in my life? And to be really honest, I think all of us will say things or people other than Jesus. And I think another good question to ask, you know, to follow up is, you know, what are we afraid of losing control of? Because that, the answer to that question uh, will direct us to the real authorities in our lives. Am I scared to give up my control on how my parents view me? Am I afraid of losing control uh, of finance? Am I afraid of losing control of happiness, of relationships and marriage and family in the future? What are those authorities that we look to? But can we be honest that all those things cannot satisfy us? Those are counterfeit authorities. But the true authority of Jesus will fully satisfy us. He will give us strength against demonic powers and struggles that we go through in life. He will not get us out of the problems, but He will keep us in there, and yet He will get us through the problems and make us stronger for His kingdom. So can we pray right now? Again, prayer is a very good form, one of the best forms of our reliance on God. Acknowledge that He's our authority. Just asking Him to change us. Asking Him to invade our hearts. Satisfy us. Give us joy. So we will want to choose Him. Let's pray together. Before I close in prayer, um, I want to just look to God right now uh, like we just saying Jesus Christ the King how could you die for me Um, the answer is love he loves us Um, so he does unthinkable things like that may we get to embrace this enjoy this and get to know what true authority looks like so we can be perhaps, you know, mirror the same type of authority to one another, loving one another, serving each other. It all starts with Jesus. So can we just, just enjoy who Jesus is to us, His love for us, His just good authority towards us, serving us, having served us all our needs, all eternity. 
uh, calls for us after that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you uh, longing to uh, be humble, longing to cast all our crowns at your feet, giving all the claims and rights and authority to you. It is very hard in our daily lives. We love ourselves in that way, in that you know, we like to have control over many things in our lives and look to other ways and people and things to be our authorities to replace you and feel empty. And that cycle uh, goes on. Uh, but may you break that chain just as you uh, broke the chain of uh, the man in the story from the addiction and oppression of the evil spirit. Uh, may you break us from our chains and be free and be in love with you, God. Oh, free us indeed and give us strength as a church as well uh, because spiritual battle is not just individual thing. It, it comes in the form of uh, corporate body as well. So I pray that you would protect us from the evil one's scheme to divide us as a community, that you would empower us in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that is more powerful than any other name. As we trust that name as a church, we will prevail. We will see your fruits being seen and being produced in this church because we want to love you, because we want to be witnesses to your glory in the world. But thank you for your word. It's true authority that we can um, appreciate and be fed by. Continue to do that, Lord, for us. 